From Bowling Green State University and the Institute for the Study of Culture and Society, this is BG Ideas. I'm going to show you this with a wonderful experiment. Welcome to the BG Ideas podcast, a collaboration between the Institute for the Study of Culture and Society and the School of Media and Communication at Bowling Green State University. As you may have already noticed, I am your guest host today, Grace Strain, Secretary for the Center for Women and Gender Equity, as well as the Office of Title IX at BGSU. Thank you to Dr. Jolie Sheffer of the ICS for allowing us to guest host this episode. We appreciate the opportunity for collaboration. This special episode of the BG Ideas podcast is being recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic. That means we're not in studio, but instead are talking via Zoom and phone. Our sound quality will be different as a result, especially since we are on opposite sides of the country, but we want to continue to share with our listeners some of the amazing work being done by members of the BGSU community. Even, or perhaps especially during a crisis, we at ICS and the CWGE think it's important to celebrate great ideas. As always, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of BGSU or its employees. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ali Leahy, Senior Organizing Manager for NARAL Pro-Choice California and an alumna of the BGSU Human Development and Family Studies Program. In her position at NARAL, Ali spearheads their organizing program in California, supporting volunteer member-led action councils, mentoring organizers, and strategizing to flex the people power of NARAL for campaign victories. She has extensive experience in grassroots organizing and electoral and legislative engagement of communities, both in her work at NARAL and her previous position as the Ohio State Organizer with URGE, Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equity, where she primarily engaged young people through the organization's first integrated voter engagement program. Allie joins me today to discuss her work in the field of reproductive freedom and what engaging communities in the political and legislative process looks like in practice. Hi, Allie. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a huge honor. Oh, we're glad to get started and have this really important conversation with you. So first things first, obviously due to COVID-19, a lot has changed quite rapidly for all of us. And face-to-face interaction is, of course, you know, necessarily limited. For someone like you who spends a lot of time working on building relationships and making those really important connections, how has your work really shifted during this pandemic? Yeah, that's a really great question and something I've been grappling with for the last month. COVID-19 has changed organizing in a number of ways. I think that, of course, it changes things logistically in terms of like how we build relationships, how we meet people. I think obviously not being able to meet in person is a huge barrier and not being able to organize in large groups to show our power is a huge barrier in order to make our demands, pass legislation, and also it impacts turning out people to vote. And so for the first time in, you know, my time organizing and probably ever, we're seeing an entirely virtual turnout for elections. I'm working on one special election coming up next month. And for the first time ever, no one is knocking doors in order to turn people out. And so we've had to turn to virtual tactics like text banking, all phone banking, finding people who want to host virtual voter contact parties. And so that has shifted things quite a bit. I think the other way in which the work has been shifted is because of the vastly changing political conditions. When you have almost 25% of people laid off and tons of industries possibly collapsing, 
it really does impact the types of demands that we make and what exactly we're asking for as organizers. And so the first time you're seeing things like Whole Foods workers walking out and striking, or you're seeing nurses demand personal protective equipment and staging walkouts out of hospitals. And we're also seeing really radical demands for things like universal health care or paid sick leave in order to stop the spread of this pandemic, the spread of COVID-19. So in reproductive rights, I think politically it shifted things where you see that states like Ohio, unfortunately, and Texas and tons of other states using this pandemic as a reason to say that abortion is not an essential service and using it as a way to shut down abortion clinics. And so this has really been a moment where we've had to step up and say abortion is an essential service and have to do a lot of work on the defense. I also think though it does open up the opportunity for the reproductive rights movement and all movements to make really radical front-facing demands So making sure that abortion is considered an essential service and that it's covered at no cost. I think that's really interesting to not only think of, you know, the kind of the technological aspects of it, right, and those shifts, but also the way that our entire political climate has shifted and that we really do kind of have a unique opportunity to maybe, you know, push some of that work further. So I I guess I want to take maybe a step back and and talk a little bit more about the scope of the work that you actually do, because I don't know if, you know, all folks out there necessarily have an idea of what reproductive freedom is or what organizing actually entails. I think we have a lot of different ways that we talk about it. So I'm curious, could you provide your working definitions for both reproductive freedom as well as organizing? Yeah, so the reproductive rights, health, and justice movements, and I also say freedom to describe what the work that I do, All these sort of movements work together and sort of to encapsulate a broader force for fighting for every person's ability to not have children, have children in a family, and to make the best reproductive health decisions for themselves and their families and their communities. People typically think of reproductive rights or reproductive freedom being only centered around abortion access, which of course is a really crucial and critical part of the work. Reproductive freedom encapsulates a broader sense of what our rights are and what impacts our ability to make those decisions. So this includes access to birth control, being able to access health care for our children, having communities where our children can go to school safely or have children not be impacted by police violence or being able to access fertility services, particularly for LGBTQ families. And so reproductive freedom is a really broad category that I think encapsulates lots of different types of work. My work has centered around primarily abortion access, access to birth control. And when it comes to organizing, I think that the only way in which we can make demands of for everyday people to have rights and to bring true justice, we can only win that through organizing. I think that in order to win, we all have to band together and sort of build people power. And so I think that organizing is really what that is. It's about recruiting people into the work. It's about identifying and empowering new leaders in order to build up a really powerful coalition for our demands. And that can be done in a number of ways. 
And so, for example, in an election, if you're working in sort of an underdog race, which if you're on the side of justice, you're almost always on the side of the underdog, you're oftentimes going up against really big interests, including big money and the media. And so the only way you can really win and get past that is by talking to a lot of people and having a lot of genuine conversations and building up a lot of leadership so you can cover as much ground as possible in order to win. That, that's great. And when we say you know, for organizing, I think the term that I see a lot of is grassroots. You know, so what does grassroots organizing actually mean? Grassroots organizing to me, it means that it's for and by people. I always think of the difference between grass tops and grassroots. So grass tops is talking to people who are highly influential. And I don't want to diss on grass tops organizing because I think it can be a really important part of any sort of campaign. But this can include people talking talking to people or institutions who are highly influential. So this includes uh, large organizations, the media, journalists, other sort of like leaders in the work, rather than the grassroots, which is everyday people. And ultimately, in order to win, you can't just have the grass tops, but you have to have the grassroots. So for example, if you're trying to pass a bill, it makes a lot of difference to have five people lobbying on it or five people at a rally versus 10,000. And if you had 10,000 people showing up to the Capitol, that would say a lot more about your demands and your issue versus five people. And so as organizers, we're always trying to build larger and larger in order to have that power. And of course, when you're building out and you're building that 10,000 people, you can't just have 10,000 people. You want people who are educated, who are prepared, who represent a diverse group of people that represents whatever demand that you're a part of. And you want them to be prepared to take action on what you're working on. I think we talk a lot, you know, in medicine, for example, about like a holistic approach. So this is almost like a holistic approach to kind of organizing activism, isn't it? Yeah. And to me, part of what's so great about using organizing and people power is that when you have the power of people, it's not easily able to be influenced by the larger forces out there. And so, for example, if you decide to try to win through big money or the media, your demands could be easily sort of deformed or or become sort of misconstrued. An example I'll give is if you relied on a big money interest in order to expand rights to workers for paid sick leave. Now, you could run into someone whose interest that conflicts with, So maybe it's someone who owns stock in the company. You're trying to fight for paid sick leave and they could try to water down the demand. But if you don't lean into the big interests or you have grassroots power and you use the power of people, then you're able to push your demand as radical as possible. I'm playing my hand here that we do know each other um, before this, but a lot of our conversations when we've talked about work, um, you you talk a lot about kind of the the data collection and all the reporting tools that you've learned, all the softwares um, to help with your organizing and your canvassing efforts. So, you know, that kind of tangible component to, you know, what is building people power look like and how do we we measure the conversations, the impact we're having. So could you talk a little bit about how you use data in your work and mobilize technology to inform how you plan strategically? So there's so much data out there and so many different tools we have to use as organizers now in order to reach people, especially during COVID-19, that help us shape the work and help us reach a lot more people than we could have even 10 or 20 years ago. 
And so data tends to fall into a number of categories. The one that I tend to use the most are databases or tools that allow us to look up individuals or collect contact information of individuals. So I think they're usually referred to as CRM. So Customer Relation Management Tools, I think is the acronym. So one tool that's oftentimes used in politics is called VAN. It's the Voter Activation Network. And this allows you to track voters. And it has all sorts of publicly available data, including contact information, how often people vote in elections, where they live, what districts they're a part of. And that allows you to reach out to a lot more people than you could have otherwise. There's also lots of communication tools like we're using right now, Zoom, that has really helped a lot of people manage during COVID-19. It's also allowed organizers to host things like uh, virtual meetings, virtual town halls, fireside chats. And one upside, and I hate to say that there's any upside to COVID-19, but any upside to a more virtual world right now is that more people can easily opt into events that otherwise they may not be able to show up to in person. And so we're able to have a lot of people participate in our events versus something I might host in person because of our virtual tools. And because it's so easy just to log in and hear about these events. And other communication tools we tend to use include text message. We call them peer-to-peer platforms where we can text people and recruit them to our events. And it's really cool. It allows us to text a ton of people and reach them very easily. We have tools to call people and talk to them. And we also have email tools in order to reach a lot of people who have opted into our volunteer list. And these are the ways in which we recruit people to all of our events and contact them about the issues and the campaigns that we're working on. We're gonna take a quick break for a sponsor. Consider the following. If you are passionate about big ideas, consider sponsoring this program. To have your name or organization mentioned here, please contact us at ics at bgsu.edu. Hello, and welcome back to the BG Ideas Podcast. Today, we're talking to Ali Leahy about her work as an organizer for reproductive freedom. So Ali, earlier in the interview, I already kind of showed my hand. I've actually known you since we were undergraduate students at BGSU. So I know that you've been involved in a number of extracurricular activities and positions with organizations. Just to name some of them, you were a member of FORCE, which was the former feminist organization here in BGSU's campus. You worked for the Cocoon, so that was Wood County's domestic violence shelter and support services organization, still going strong today, of course. You volunteered for a STEM camp for young girls. You even hosted a radio show uh, on BGSU's campus. So how do you believe that all of these experiences, everything you did in your undergraduate education, whether that was you know, academic or extracurricular, how do you think that helped shape you as the activist and organizer you are today? Yeah, it's funny that you read all these experiences and it just made me realize that how much of my experience at Bowling Green State University really propelled me to become an organizer in my postgraduate future. I think that I would not be the organizer I am without all of these really important experiences and that my time at Bowling Green were really how I initially built the skills in order to become an organizer. Um, I think that a lot of organizing work is, I wouldn't, a lot of it is learned, but some of it is intuitive too. And so the basic structures of a campaign between um, recruitment, building out your tactics, building out your strategy, 
thinking through what kind of demands, building relationships, all of those things are adaptable to the different types of campaigns you're a part of. And so I can see how, as you like map this out, like how I built all of those skills. So for example, when I was an organizer as a part of Forest, the organization on campus, I learned a lot about what it was like to identify organic leadership in order to build them up into becoming elected leadership of the organization. And I oftentimes use those same skills where I make direct ask of people in order to step up and become leaders. And I use those same skills all the time today. And so, and the other thing too, when I worked at the Cocoon Shelter when I was an undergrad, I also learned a lot about active listening and how to show a lot of empathy through listening to people's really tragic and really hard stories. And those are the same skills you have to use as an organizer because the issues that we work on from reproductive rights to to labor rights, everything, it's very deeply personal. And so one thing you learn very quickly is how to listen and how to empathize in order to draw the direct political connections to what people are dealing with in their everyday lives. So I think that in terms of academic, I think too, so much of what I learned and the analysis that I learned and learning about how issues, particularly reproductive rights, impact families, you know, human development, family studies, it's right there. I learned a lot of that in the classroom through my program. And so it's very easy for me to sort of draw the pathway between my academic experience and the experiences I had on campus and who I am today. And I just, I can't recommend enough for anyone who's going to Bowling Green or any sort of school is to like get involved right away because that is like really makes all the difference after you graduate. So a glowing endorsement for the Office of Campus Activities here on campus, uh, get involved. I, I wanna pull out something that you said. Uh, you talked about how you know, this is often very you know, deeply personal work for the people that are involved in it, especially organizing. It's something that you know, we've talked about it as being very hands-on, you know, as being very emotionally invested in it. So I guess I'm curious about you know, some of those challenges to that work that people might not see unless they're on the inside. One thing I always say when it comes to organizing is that anytime you get a group of like three or more people in a room, there's always going to be dynamics and conflict and issues that pop up. So part of being an organizer when you're working with groups of people is learning how to manage that conflict and to work through those challenges together. And there's no easy solution and there's no guidebook to that. You're oftentimes just learning as you go. And so the challenges you deal with are all the types of challenges you deal with anytime you get a group together in a room. Sometimes people disagree with each other. Sometimes people don't like each other, but you're working towards a common interest or a goal. And so you have to learn how to work together. Sometimes people don't show up or don't have the capacity to participate as much, or sometimes people, they have personal lives that are happening. I mean, that's one conversation we've been happening through COVID-19 is how do you still continue to organize when a lot of people are dealing with unemployment or their families getting sick or taking care of their kids at home? You have to navigate all of that at the same time while working on your campaign. And I think organizing for issues that directly impact people in the communities that I work with, I think that it's really important to remember that people don't exist in a vacuum and that people have to deal with their everyday lives in addition to organizing. And I think that in some ways it becomes very easy to take some of this really personally and that especially working in the reproductive rights movement, the opposition 
is really, really strong and very visible and very harsh in a lot of ways. So that can be really challenging, but ultimately I believe something that Sarah Nelson, she's a really critical labor leader. She said, solidarity is a stronger force than gravity. And I always think about that is one of the most powerful experiences you can have. And that's what ultimately makes it worth it through all the challenges and through all the issues. To connect to some of your past experience, when we're thinking about managing conflict, being really personally invested in the work, your previous position was with an organization called URGE, so Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equity, and you were the Ohio State organizer. And so you actually had a lot of interaction, not just with the state as a whole, but a lot of really specific interaction with BGSU as a campus as well. You know, working with college students around voter registration and other things related to reproductive freedom. So how did working with college students and particularly those at BGSU really change your organizing approach and your philosophy? Working with college students is such an honor. And honestly, I work with students sometimes, but I really miss it in a lot of ways. I think that there's so many different aspects of organizing with students that pop up. I think, first of all, like every single social movement today has had an undercurrent of campus organizers, whether it be the labor movement, housing activists, reproductive rights, all of them have student movements behind them or students have sort of been the catalyst to these, to these demands or these types of campaigns. And I really think it's important to learn and listen to college students and what their concerns are. I think that one way in which it changed my organizing approach and philosophy, I think that students have, I, I don't want to say untainted minds, but are so optimistic in ways in which adults who are sort of post-grad don't experience. I think oftentimes the stereotype of college students is that they're too radical or we shouldn't take them seriously, when actually I think that's their biggest strength when it comes to organizing. I also think students are really dedicated and they really see the connection to the issues that they're working on and their everyday lives. Um, one example I'll give outside of Bowling Green, but here in California, I spent the last two years working on a bill to expand reproductive health services to college students. And that bill that was signed by the governor actually started at UC Berkeley. And so you can see the direct connection between demands and campaigns that student organizers launched that were that first brushed off as too radical or um, too short-sighted, but actually led a whole movement and is now expanding across the nation. And I think at Bowling Green, it's, it was always really special to organize with students there because oftentimes it was the community for a lot of people at Bowling Green. And I think that for so many people I've met that that really shaped who they are as people and all of their future friend groups. I mean, Gray, I know you through all of campus organizing in force. So I think that college students really have the wisdom and that we should just listen to them more. Yeah, so if there's no other message from this, it's, it's listen to young people and make sure that college students trust their voice, for sure. Uh, you know, so in, in addition to you know, the work that you've done you know, through URGE and through NARAL, I mean, you somehow find the time to also be an organizer and kind of quote unquote your personal time, right? You know, being involved in a lot of different local issues, things that you care about. So I'm interested if you could kind of speak to you know, some of this other work that you've done, how it still intersects with reproductive freedom and that work. Because I think throughout this, you've really talked about kind of the interconnectedness of a lot of this organizing work. 
So I moved to California from Northwest Ohio three years ago now. And shortly after I took uh, my current position in reproductive rights, I was really sort of aching for a political home outside of my work. And so I started to look around at organizations and that's where I met and I'd heard online about the Democratic Socialists of America. And what I've been working on for the last two years has been a really transformative experience. I've worked on a number of campaigns, they call them DSA. I've worked on electoral campaigns for different candidates. I've worked on a rent control campaign. I've been on the front lines with teachers in Oakland who were striking. I've been a part of a democratic organization in which making decisions and navigating all sorts of, um, whether it be opening up an office, debating on what types of campaigns to take on has been really important for my political and my development as an organizer. I think that where I see a lot of those issues intersect, particularly labor and housing, I mean, I feel like it's very direct with reproductive rights because reproductive rights is ultimately very much a labor issue. A lot of the reason why people make the reproductive health decisions they do is because of finances or because of their job. And oftentimes our housing shapes how we have our families. And so if your housing is really expensive or if you feel like you have the extra room, you might make one decision over another in terms of your reproductive rights or your or how you have a family. And so to me, all of those issues really intersect with each other and really impact people's reproductive freedom or how they choose their housing or how they choose to work or whether they work. And so I really just think, think all of it's hand in hand. And I can't recommend enough um, finding a political home in general, whether or not it is your workplace or outside of your work. I think it can be a really transformative and important experience to be part of a political organization of any kind. I think that actually blends beautifully into my final question for you. So given a lot of the experiences you've had in organizing and advocacy and activism, two-part question here. What do you see as, as the most pressing issues or, or legislation you think people should be focused on, whether that is locally or, or nationally? And then how do you recommend that you know ordinary, everyday people, so the, those folks at the grassroots, right, how they get involved um, in their communities and the issues they care about? Hard for me to say what the most pressing issues are or legislation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different issues or legislation or campaigns people can be a part of. My recommendation is to take something you really care about or something that impacts you. Whatever you wake up and think, I would want to work on that. I think focus on that and then find an organization or find a political home of some sorts and just start getting involved. I think that it can be finding the right issue or finding the right political organization, depending on where you live and what interests you. It can be a little challenging. So give yourself time to check out different organizational meetings, go to lots of websites. If you have friends who are involved in politics, have conversations with them. Because I do think that regardless of what organization you're in, it's super important just to be involved it's very fulfilling, keeps you informed, like as a voting citizen. And so just find your, find your political organization and stick to it and just work to help build the world that you want to live in. 
that is a message right there. And I think for college students, especially those of you who might be listening, there's so many organizations on campus too, you know, that are already doing this kind of work, that are already trying to connect people in these ways. I mean, I was fortunate enough to get to meet you through these these sorts of things. So, you know, even outside of political organizing, um, kind of those lasting relationships that you can build. Well, so Ali, we are at the end of this interview. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I know that your schedule can be absolutely busy sometimes. I really enjoyed getting to celebrate the work that you do, as well as highlight an outstanding BGSU alumna that I'm very proud to know. Oh, thank you, Gray. It was really great chatting with you about this. I'm really honored and I'm really excited to listen to the final product. Great. Thank you so much. Our producers for this podcast are Chris Cavera and Marco Mendoza. Marco deserves extra thanks for sound editing in these very challenging conditions. A special thank you also to the Institute for the Study of Culture and Society and to Dr. Jolie Sheffer for allowing us to host this episode. Be sure to like and subscribe to the BG Ideas podcast wherever you listen and follow the Center for Women and Gender Equity on Facebook and Instagram at bgsu.cwge to stay up to date on all of our programming and events. And above all else, stay safe, everyone. <laughs>